Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. We think about our relationships. We think about the relationships that we have with one another. And I think, don't do any of the nudges to your neighbor. Don't do any of the looks. I think if we can think about it, we can come up with all sorts of breakdowns in our communication. We can think about all the different ways that the problems, the conflicts that we experience often begin with a breakdown in our communication. Whether it's with husband and wife, whether it's with friends, whether it's coworkers, family writ large, there's all these ways which when things break down, they seem to begin with a breakdown in communication. Now, if if I was thinking about this from maybe your perspective, I'm trying to imagine the objections to this message. I would be thinking, I don't want to hear this self-helpy, saccharine talk about, you just got to talk it out, okay? I can imagine that. And so let me say this. Jesus tells us, he gets asked this question. He gets asked, what is the greatest commandment? A, a very pertinent, a very common question of his day. The religious scholars would ask, would debate, what's the most important thing to do? How do you live a godly life? How do you live a righteous life? What should I do? What rules should I follow? And Jesus says that all the law and all the prophets, so all of the Hebrew Bible, hang on this. To love the Lord your God with everything you have and love those around you. To love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard that maybe called the golden rule, but then Jesus extends that late in his ministry before he is executed. He tells his followers, and this is taught in the early church, that we are to love not as we would like to be loved. We are to treat not as we would like to be treated, but we are to love as Jesus loved us. And so we sing that song, show me how to love like you have loved me. This requires work, this requires effort, this requires determination, this requires strategy, this requires intentionality. This doesn't just happen, this isn't just an emotion. So when we talk about our communication goals, I am not just trying to put a band-aid on something. I am trying to push all of us, myself included, towards what God wants for us, what I would consider to be God's best for us. Because All of this, this grand mission of Jesus, this gospel mission of making things right, of the kingdom coming down to earth, that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of that hinges not on individuals. It hinges on the historical, global, capital C church. It hinges on people coming together in that mission. This is what we are trying to do. We articulate it by saying we are trying to help people find and follow Jesus. This is not an individualistic mission. This is our mission. Individuals have to say yes to it. Individuals have to jump in. Absolutely. But this doesn't happen. Traction is not gained. Dents are not made without us. So this is on us. Poor communication, breakdown of relationships, breakdowns of our collective efforts to bring about God's will. Think about all the ways that things fall apart. So we talk about communication. 
We talk about the ways we communicate with our words, with our hands, with our silence. Communication covers a lot of skills, but today, as we discuss this, I want to look at one aspect of this that I think is most important. It's not talking, it's listening. James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. We're going to spend a month in November looking at the book of James, so this is a little preview. James chapter 1, verse 19. James writes this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you're following along in your Bibles or if you've got the app open, you see the scriptures there, you'll know something about James. You'll know something about James that this is in-your-face ideals. James is not playing politics. James is not pulling punches. He is going right at the matter. He says that we should be slow to speak and slow to become angry. James is saying that our default response should be one of listening. I am not slow to speak. I am not slow to listen. Becoming a good listener can be difficult because there's all these barriers that we have. We think about in our daily life, we have barriers to us listening. And the first one, I think it's pretty easy to see this, that we, get, we are so me-focused, we are self-centered. We are self-centered and me-focused that we are prone to missing it because we think everything is about us. We think we are the star of the story. We love it when people gather just to hear us speak. So thanks for attending this morning at Movement Church because I have the microphone. <laughs> We, we love to think of things that it's all about me. Adam McHugh, who's a psychologist, says this. He says that good listening starts with the scandalous premise that this conversation is not about you. It's not about you. When we listen, we have to remove that idea that it's all about us. That's new to some of us, I think. And to most of us, I think we know this, yet we fight it. Another barrier to listening this is the assumptions that we make. Rather than trying to understand what a person is saying, we assume we already know. I fall into one of those stereotypical guy routines. You give me a furniture that came in that flat box and I have to assemble it. I don't need the instructions. You know, I, I go to Home Depot, I go to Lowe's. I know what part I need, yet I'm going to be there three more times that day because I got the wrong thing. And I got to do the walk of shame back to the return desk. I'm like, oh, weren't you in here earlier? No, no, I get that all the time. Somebody else. We, we assume that we know. We assume that we know what's going on. We assume we know what the issue is. We assume we know what's happening. And there's that line of what happens when we assume, but we're a church. A third barrier is this. Third barrier is validation. In our culture, when we talk, so often we're looking for that validation. I'm going to express something. I'm going to tell this story that only makes me in a good light, that paints me in a good light. I'm going to talk about my ideals just so I can get you to agree with me. You never see someone in a talking head, embodied head on some cable news shows say, saying things and listening and being a good listener. They're looking for that validation. Finally, I think the other issue that we have to listening is, is the, the idea that we are so busy. It's just the busyness that we have. We are not giving ourselves space and time to listen. But, but why is it that listening is so important? What happens when we don't listen? When we don't listen, the first thing that happens is I think people feel unheard. 
people feel unheard. And so we look at our, our little analogy, our little equation here. People are unheard. And then when we combine this, when we combine this with other things, we have a huge problem. But ultimately, we need to stop there, this idea that we are unheard. I want to do a little experiment here, and it's going to be awkward. So yeehaw. For about 20 seconds here, I want us to be quiet and listen and take note of what you hear. So what do you hear? You hear some awesome babies making some noises, which is totally fine. They're honored guests. Maybe you hear your person sitting next to you shuffling a little bit, taking a sip of coffee. Maybe you heard some noises outside. But we, we notice things when we're quiet. You've been in the kitchen, and all of a sudden you notice you don't hear something, the refrigerator running. You notice that absence of silence. Parents of small kids, when they're quiet and they're in the other room, you might want to go check that out. <laughs> because when we, when we listen, when we truly listen, all of a sudden we start to notice things. We start to notice things. And if people are unheard, we have this breakdown in our communication. If we're not really listening, we're not really paying attention, then we have a problem. I'm a, I'm a fan of Saturday Night Live. And Kristen Wiig, one of the cast members a few years back, had a character. I don't remember what the character's name was, but whenever someone would tell a story, she would come in and she would top the story, right? She, she would say, oh, you did this? Well, I did that too, and I found $5. And it would just get outlandish and more outlandish and more outlandish and more crazy. It would be that person who always has a topper to your story. Oh, you've lost five pounds, well, I've lost ten. Oh, well, you make that much money, well, I make that much money, and I get a company car. Oh, your kids, your kids were, were potty trained by 15 months. Well, mine came out of the womb potty trained, and they did my taxes for me. <laughs> like, they always have like, like a one-upsmanship about them because we're not listening. We grab that spotlight. And when we don't listen, people feel unheard, but also people feel unknown. People feel unheard, and people feel unknown. You, you call customer service. And you got an issue, and you're trying to deal with this issue. And so you go through the automated system, and you press this button, and you press this button, and there's like four or five different stages of this. And you get to that last stage, and you think, finally, I'm going to get an answer. I'm going to be able to talk to a human being. And they tell you something that is so infuriating. They say, your call is very important to us. No, it's not. You are not listening to me. I have been unheard, and I am not known. We get this in our real life. We get these points where we have these issues where we're trying to confront it. And maybe you're just trying to express frustration and maybe someone like me will hear that and immediately say, well, I'm here to fix it. I'm here to offer suggestions about how you can go about your life better. Just listen to me. I am the all-wise knowing one instead of just listening and allowing that person to be heard and known. The writer of Proverbs this incredible wisdom. In Proverbs 18, verse 13, he says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. 
How many times have we heard something and we get all worked up? We got, maybe we've got a tweet ready to go or we've sent a text message or we're going to confront them or we're going to do this thing. We're going to play it all out and we are going to confront them about how wrong they were only to find out that we misheard what we thought they had said. It's so easy to do this. But there's folly and shame to speak before we listen. The real issue here is that when people are unheard and they feel that they are unknown, what equates what happens there is that people feel as though they are unloved. Maybe that's too extreme, but I would argue it's true. I would argue it's true that when people feel unheard and unknown, they feel unloved. David Augsburger, another, another uh, uh, psychologist who wrote this book, he wrote an incredible book called Caring Enough to Confront. If you struggle with confrontation, if you've got a conflict with work or a partner or, or at home or wherever, and you just don't know how to go at it, that's a great book to pick up. But he says this in another one of his books. David Augsburger says, being listened to is so close to being loved that the average person cannot tell the difference. We understand someone listening to us as an act of love. Now, none of us want the most important people in our lives. I know this is true. I'm preaching this to myself, that we don't want the most important people in our lives to feel unloved. So how do we make sure that doesn't happen? So we look to Jesus. It's the Sunday school answer, but we believe this. We believe that Jesus is the full embodiment of God on earth. That the best way for us to understand God is to look to Jesus. That this is the model, that this is the personification of the divine, and this is the divine who is so loving and so relationally bent that he was going to come to us in a way we could actually grasp, understand, and make sense of. And so we see the full love of Jesus in, in moments of healing where, where masses are fed and these incredible things where we see him on the cross and he's, being, he's been beaten and he's, he's slowly dying and he's been ridiculed and mocked and he says, Father, forgive these because they don't know what they're doing. We see love in those moments. But we also see love in other moments where he listens well. There are stories that are, that are quieter. There are stories that are more personal. It's not this big, big, brash statement of, look how powerful I am. It is these very human moments where he gives love by listening, where he sees every person, where he values every life, and Jesus who loves those who are typically forgotten. In these moments, God kind of himself pulls up a chair to listen. And we see this happen so often in the Bible, particularly we see this in Luke chapter 18. As we pick up the story, Jesus is approaching this town, and the people are filled, and they're anxious, and it's kind of one of these situations where word has spread that Jesus is coming, and so people are coming in from in that town, and from without that town, they're coming in to see what Jesus is going to do. There's this expectation, maybe he's going to feed us, maybe there's going to be this healing, maybe we're going to see him have this incredible mic drop moment where he's going to put the Pharisees and the religious leaders in their place, these hypocrites, hey, this is going to be so incredible to watch, or what's he going to do with the Romans, and they, they get their foot on our, on our lives, and the boot of power on our necks we see this play out and there in this moment imagine everyone is crowded in there's this huge crowd of people it's like trying to go to blank on the first night and you're you're suddenly tied in with everybody and you're like breathing their air and you're touching people and it's really really uncomfortable and all this in this moment jesus listens to someone Picture this scene, this crowded scene. People are wanting to get Jesus where he's going. And starting in verse 35, 
It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people yelled at him. If we stop there for a moment. This man is causing attention. And everyone else doesn't want this to divide or deflect or distract from what Jesus is about to do. And so they're so focused on what they're going to get out of this. That this blind guy, this beggar, this person has no way out, yells out for help. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Desperate people find Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. I can imagine the the awkwardness of this. People in the crowd who are just yelling for the guy to shut up are now having to lead this man to Jesus. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? This pattern that emerges with Jesus' miracles. He often will ask, he will usually ask, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. This is an outrageous miracle. We see Jesus restoring sight, restoring hearing, restoring the ability to, to walk, mobility. And we see him doing it different ways. And this way, it was just boom, there it is. But what I'm always struck by is how much love and dignity Jesus gives this man. He stops the procession. He stops the mob. He says, what do you want? He gives the guy agency. He gives the guy a voice in this because he's listening. Everyone in the crowd is vying for a piece of Jesus. They want what's coming to them. They want a free meal. They want to see a showdown between Jesus and the religious leaders, those hypocrites. They don't want anything to to take away from that. And you have to wonder, this guy who is sitting there on the side, you wonder, because I do this. You see someone begging, you steer your kids away. You see someone begging or asking for change, or you never really get to know them or ask how they're doing. And sure, there are all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't do that. There are all sorts of reasons, some of them very good, why you shouldn't do that. But I think about this man who is there all the time, and these people who are there all the time, and I wonder if this moment, when Jesus brings him out of the crowd, was this the first time they noticed him? Was this the first time that the people in the crowd who were wanting so much noticed him? Because look at what Jesus does, the most important person on the earth, God on earth, he stops So he can listen, he asks a question, so that he may know what the man really desires. He stops, he listens, he asks a question so he may know. And this amazing scene colludes, or colludes, it concludes with Jesus continuing to act out of love, healing the man right in the spot. And I can't help but think about the beautiful irony of the moment, that the first thing this blind man sees with his vision restored, is the man who saw him. 
Not just the man who healed him, but the man who saw him, who took the time. Jesus was a really good listener. I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, but he was a really good listener. He didn't just ignore people. Even in the chaos, and, and probably some of his disciples, like, we got to get here because we, then we got to go there, and we got to do this, and we got to stay on schedule, or, or if we don't do that, we're going to miss this opportunity. Even in the midst of that, Jesus stops and is a good listener. He doesn't interrupt people with that spotlight-grabbing story. You want to you you see? Well, I want to save all of humanity for all of time so that they can be right with God. Jesus had a better story, but he didn't share it in that moment. Jesus wasn't that spotlight grabber. Jesus was an expert in identifying the cues of individuals and inviting conversation of listening. And the fact that he does that, the secret as to why he's able to do that, I don't think is because he was divine. I don't think because he had the ability to know what people were thinking in their inner monologue. I think it was because Jesus saw the value of everyone. He saw the value inherent in life. And he looked at everyone not as the product of their mistakes, the product of their decisions. He saw everyone as having the valuable aspect of life given by God. And so Jesus is able to do this because he sees us as God sees us. So how do we follow this? How do we do that? I think before we can share the love of Jesus with others, we have to receive it ourselves. John, who is referred to in the gospel that has his name on it as the the disciple whom Jesus loved, one of Jesus' closest friends, and may have been one of the younger members of the twelve, and so Jesus kind of had this father-figure relationship with him perhaps. He writes this in his first letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. That you and I are just like that blind man crying out for help. We are desperate for healing. We are desperate for saving. We are desperate for the reconnection with God. And we are all undeserving of that. We are all undeserving of that. And he loves us so much that he was able to create a path forward for us by laying down his life. That the fear that we have of of death, the fear we have of nothingness, is resolved, is solved by what Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus did in the empty tomb. That this fear of death has been taken away. When we truly come to understand this, everything changes. That we are, in, in essence, spiritually blind and we can be healed by Jesus. But maybe today... It starts with us simply saying, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. In fact, today I want to challenge us to imitate Jesus in the ways in which we communicate with one another. We can so often be like George Costanza when we come up with that perfect response after the fact, after the conflict. And we want to re-engineer some way to get back there and just really shove it in their face. But what we see in Jesus. We see Jesus listening. Not to just hear the words they are saying, but to really listen, to understand what's behind it. Because that is an act of love. Little kids get this, right? Little kids get this. My kids get this. My kids have started doing this. We're having a hard time with them like interrupting us when we're talking. 
but they want our attention so bad because they're kids, right? And they have a question. They have a question. And usually it's something very inane, right? Like, like it's not even a question. It's like a statement. Like, I like the pink one. Okay, that's not a question. But what they've started doing is they'll come up to us and they'll start to interrupt us and then we'll, we'll stop them and then they'll do this. They'll raise their hand. Because of this, kids understand if we don't have your eyes, if we don't have your presence, they're not really listening to us. How many times have I said to my kids, maybe later? How many times have I told my kids, not right now? We'll talk about it then. How many times have I fully been present and then told them no, right? <laughs> How many times have I fully been present and really listened? And really understood what they want and what's going on. And so, yeah, we got to set things down. We got to show up. We got to turn our full attention there because we have to listen. And when we listen, then we can really know. Then we can really know what's going on. We can know that person. I'm king of this. I want to jump into fix it mode. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? We need to know someone before we can do it. I think some easy things to be able to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's going on. You're not apologizing for what you did. You're, you're giving truth. You're speaking the fact that what they're talking about, it stinks. And it's not right. Admitting that that must be a hard thing for them to go in through or go through. Or it's to ask the question, well, tell me more about that. What else is going on there? If you're like me and you want to just jump to fixing it, jumping to fixing it, maybe you need to ask some more questions and listen so that person feels heard, that person feels known, that person feels loved. And so when we communicate, we listen, we know, and therefore they are loved. This is the goal that we have to put forward. Because it's not about just improving our relationships. It's not about just finding some peace or some harmony at home or at work. This is ultimately about the obedience to what Jesus says. This is the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbors yourself. He says, you will love others as I have loved you. It's obedience to that. But it's also practically that if we are going to pursue the mission that Jesus has for us, we're not doing it by ourselves. We are not doing it by ourselves. So therefore, we have to come together. We have to communicate well. Because ultimately, God loves us so much that he hears us. He hears in our, in our head. He hears in our mouth. He hears what we say and what we think. And I want to challenge us as we kind of wrap things up to remind us that no matter where we're at in our relationships, whether they're ideal or not, whether they are some source of joy or source of pain, that we have an opportunity to respond. That we can't control what other people do, but we can listen. We can show up. We can love. As we close out today, as we kind of come to a time of, of communion, the band's going to come up and they're going to they're going to sing and uh, lead us in a few songs, and it's going to be great. But there's something that happens in communion. There's kind of this uh, this cosmic event, and yeah, it's just bread from Kroger that's been cut up and. It's grape juice from Kroger. It's been poured out. But there's something that happens here. Because at the first meal, or at the first Last Supper, the first meal of remembrance that Jesus gave, he was still with them. He was giving them instructions of how to 
act, how to worship, how to come together after the fact, and he was still there. And so he's in this moment, and he's essentially giving them the worst news imaginable. And he has heard them enough to know that this is going to be earth-shattering, and so they need something to hold on to. Think about the grief you've experienced when you lose a loved one. In those moments, you think back to the conversations, to the events, to the last thing that they said, and you hold on to that. And it's a gift. So Jesus, knowing us better than we know ourselves, listening and loving us beyond measure, gives us something to hold on to. He essentially says, I'm going to go through the worst thing imaginable, and you're going to think it's all over, and then I'm going to come back from the dead, and you're not going to get it, and it's going to be confusing, and it's going to kick off thousands of years of struggle and persecution and, and understanding and working it out. How do we make sense of this? And over and over again, we have the gift of the meal. We have the gift of the cup. We have an opportunity to celebrate. We have something tangible. Jesus loved us. Jesus heard us. Jesus knows us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and you too want to love like God has loved us, then we invite you to come to this table, to come and take of this bread, the tangible remembering representation, the symbolic thing, this thing that's loaded with meaning that I can't even begin to understand, this bread that is representative of the body that was whipped, beaten, stabbed, pierced, the blood that was shed and poured out and stained the ground around it. Not for some just gore and pain, but for meaning, for purpose, and for saving. And so when we take of this, when we take this bread, and we dip it in this juice, what we are saying is it's not over. That God is not done with us. And we are called to love one another. So I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, you're invited to stand, and you're invited to come, and take of the bread and take of the juice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the tangible. Thank you for the practical.